life. Last week, as we were in our series in the book of Philippians, uh, Joy in the Journey, you and I saw together Paul using an accounting term to talk about our standing before God in relationship to our salvation. And he said it's not about our pedigree, it is not about our performance, it is about the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. It's the grace of God that we accept through faith by which we are saved. And you and I, as we look at that, now get to see Paul transitioning from an accounting term to an athletic term. Remember last time I shared with you is just a couple of weeks ago as I stood in Caesarea Maritimo, and it was that place where before Paul went to Rome to be imprisoned, he was imprisoned there for two years. This is where Herod built his elaborate palace. This is where he brought the Olympic Games back, and every four years they would have the Olympic Games there. Paul would have heard the gladiators fighting in the arena. He would have heard the chariot racing. And so Paul did what Jesus did. He used the common uh, ideas of the day, things that people would be familiar with. And so as he started to read or to write to his readers, he connected with them on a level that was human. Isn't it amazing that 2,000 years later, the words that we're going to read here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 16 still resonate with us because we are very much a sports-saturated society. And what Paul calls us to here is for you and I to press towards the prize. And as he talks about pressing towards the prize, he gives us five powerful principles to help us to do that. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. And if you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress that we have already made. Paul here starts with a seemingly strange principle number one, and it is this, be dissatisfied. Be dissatisfied with the spiritual status quo. You and I need to understand what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying very clearly, and this is the great apostle Paul, remember this powerhouse of a believer who had crisscrossed the Roman globe sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what he says, I haven't arrived yet. I'm still growing in my relationship with Jesus. That is an amazing statement considering where Paul is at in his life. He's in the latter stages of his life. You and I could call it the fourth quarter of his life. And what he's saying is this, I'm still growing in my knowledge of Jesus and in my relationship with Jesus. Remember, this is Paul who had gone on three different missionary journeys. This is Paul who at this point in time would have written already ten of the letters to the churches that you and I read as books of the New Testament Paul, who had accomplished so much in his life, was saying, look, I'm not going to coast to the finish. Church, what happens when you and I become complacent, 
comfortably complacent in our Christian life? We coast, right? Have you ever been there where you want to just kind of coast into the finish line? You see, what happens is we end up going backwards because the currents of the culture start to pull against that coasting and they start to pull us backwards. It is dangerous and it is deadly for you and I to buy into the lie that we've learned enough, we've grown enough, we've served enough, we've walked enough with Jesus. You and I can't get enough of Jesus is what Paul is saying here. And you and I need to have that divine dissatisfaction of that status quo of just saying, I'm going to coast. I'm going to be complacent. Let me ask you, in your Christian life, is there any area spiritually where you are dissatisfied? And what would need to change in your life for that to change? Number two, be devoted. Paul says, one thing that I do, I love this. He brings it into a singular focus. He says, one thing I do is forgetting those things that lay behind and I press forward. Isn't it amazing how much of our life is characterized not by the one thing I do, but by the 50 things I dabble in? You see, in order for you and I to be devoted, we've got to have a singular focus. And that focus has to be Jesus. That's why Paul, whether he was sailing the Mediterranean, whether he was speaking in the synagogue, whether he was writing letters to the churches from prison, he was doing it through the power of Jesus Christ. That was his focus. He made the mission the Master, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so often what happens to us is our lack of devotion is because we have made the mission me instead of the Master. And I want to ask you, what are you devoted to today? How do you know what you're devoted to, where you spend your time, talents, and treasure? That will reveal the true devotion of your heart. How concentrated on Jesus Christ are you? Number three, Be directed. Paul here, as he talks about direction, reveals to you and I that we've got to focus on the present, not on the past. And I believe that in life, in order to achieve, regardless of what it is that we're trying to accomplish, we need direction. Paul here reveals to you and I, in order for us to have direction, two things have to happen in our life. There has to be elimination and there has to be concentration. Have you ever watched a runner run constantly looking back? Did you see what happened to my body the moment that I, what happened? I shifted, right? How many of you have ever watched someone about to win the race and they got someone on their heels and they give in to the temptation to what? Look back. And in that moment, they lose momentum because they lost direction. You see what happens to runners who look back is it shifts their center of gravity, it shifts their direction, and pretty soon they cross over into somebody other's lane, and they don't just run into other runners, they run over other runners. And some of us today, because we are so focused backwards on our previous life, are running into and running over other people. Now, when it comes to elimination and concentration, Paul talks first about you and I eliminating some things. And I believe there are three things that he's talking about you and I eliminating out of our life. The first is things that we have to leave in the past. Number one, your sins and your failures. Every single one of us in here is a sinner. Every single one of us in here has a past. 
And here's our temptation. Our temptation is to find someone that has a worse past than us so we can feel good about our past. But you see, here's what many of us are doing today. We've been forgiven by God the Father, but rather than walking in that forgiveness, we're still walking in our failure. That's why we're looking back. Do you remember God's command? As as Lot and his family were brought out of Sodom and Gomorrah, their past and their sins, do you remember what God said? Don't look back. And what did Lot's wife do? How many of us today are being paralyzed by our past because that's what we're focused on? You see... Paul had some major failure in his past. In verse 6, we didn't read it today, a couple weeks ago we did, verse 3 of chapter, or uh, verse 6 of chapter 3, he says this, as for zeal, talking about if anybody could have a right standing before God based on their own work, which Paul says you can't, he says, if anyone could, it was me, and he lists out all these reasons, and the last one that he gives is, as for zeal or passion, I persecuted the church. I want to unpack those three words for just a moment. Persecuted the church. Paul didn't persecute a building. He persecuted believers. We are the church. He went after people. Do you ever stop to think of the wake of homelessness in Saul's life? Do you ever stop to think of all of the orphans as a result of what Saul chose to do? Think of those kids, and you and I read the stories, but we never really make them real in our own lives. Can you imagine the doors of your home bursting open, your young kids sitting there at the table with your parents eating a meal, and your mom or your dad or both of your parents are dragged off and put into jail, and you're now an orphan? See, Paul didn't wreck houses. He wrecked homes. And some of you, in your past, you've been a home wrecker. And you're still hung up on the guilt of that. What do you do with the guilt and the shame and the regret of your past? There's only one thing you can do. Bring it to God the Father. Confess that. Come clean. Get honest with God. Repent. Repentance is a turning away from your sin. Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. And then God the Father forgives you. And here's the last step that we don't normally do. We confess. We repent. But then we don't walk in that forgiveness. We go back to walking in our failure. Here's the thing. Some of you today are walking in regret instead of redemption. And God has redeemed you and you're still living in the regret. Why? Because you're trying to pursue the prize looking at the past. Satan wants to keep you in the prisons of your past. He wants to constantly remind you of your failure. Here's what you need to do. You need to remind him of his future. Because you have a hope, you have a home, he doesn't. Church, do you know how failure-focused we are as people? Our kids, man, they can mow the lawn and and miss one little spot, and what do we focus on as parents? Not the success, not what they got right, but the failure, right? Let me share a story from my own life. When I was in college, I was taking this, uh, I was biology major, that's right. Uh, your pastor's an ordained biology major. It's the best we could do, okay? But here's the thing. I had this physiology and anatomy test. And I walked in, and this was like old school, right? Before they had holograms and computer programs that could generate a, a cyber body. And so we had like good old-fashioned cadaver there, <coughs> 
And in that cadaver, in all the muscles were these pins with these little numbers. And you got this piece of paper that had several hundred numbers on it and the blank next to the number. And you had to go around and memorize, know exactly what the different muscles were. And I'll never forget feeling good about the test. I'd studied hard. And I was going around, got it, got it, got it, got it. I was just acing the test. And then I came to this one muscle. I drew complete blank. I couldn't recall anything. I don't know if you know about the guys that named this stuff, but they all spoke Latin. You can't even fake this, okay? It's not like it's multiple choice. You either know it or you don't know it. And I couldn't recall it. Total blank in my mind. I aced the test. Ganet had one of the highest grades in the class, but I got that one. I could got it wrong. It was blank. So after the test, I immediately went out. What was I focused on? I wasn't focused on men. You, you, you knew most of these. I was focused on the one that I couldn't remember, and I went and looked it up. Here it is, this one right here, oblicularis oculi. I will never, ever, ever forget that. I think on my deathbed, there'll be two things I say. Jesus, oblicularis oculi. (laughs) Isn't it amazing that I can't recall today hardly any of the ones I got right, but I still remember the one I got wrong. Let me tell you something about failure. If you have been forgiven by God the Father, your failure was a lesson, not a life sentence. And some of you today, you are living your life like this is a life sentence. Let me ask you this question. Are you walking in forgiveness or in your failure? Have you confessed and come clean to God? Are you allowing God's forgiveness or your failure to shape who you really are, your self-image? Because some of us today, we are walking around like we are complete failures, stuck in the prisons of our past when we are forgiven saints of God who are called to proclaim his name in the present. Second thing I think we've got to get rid of in the past is not just the sin that we have done, but the sin that has been done to us. There's not a single person in this room that hasn't been hurt by another human being. Every single one of us in here carries hurts. And for some of you, they are deep wounds like Old Testament Joseph. You understand and you feel the rejection of your family. For some of you, you feel like you have been misused, sold into slavery, treated like garbage. Some of you today, you're at a place where you feel like you're stuck in that prison because of what people did to you in the past. And they, they've left you to rot and forgotten about you. So what do you do? How do you handle those things? You take them to God. Here's the reality. Paul is not just preaching principles here. He is preaching what he has practiced in his life. You don't have to read very much of the Gospels to realize that Paul had a lot of painful experiences in his past, and a lot of them were wrapped around people. Can I read a couple of those to you? 2 Corinthians 11.23, I've been put in prison more often, whipped times without number, so much that he couldn't recall all of it. I faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. You know why 39? 40 would kill a man. We're going to be gracious to you, Paul. We're going to take you to the brink of death and let you claw your way back to life. 
Three different times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three different times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers, from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I faced danger in the cities and deserts and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claimed to be believers but were not. I've worked hard and long. I've endured many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without even enough clothing to keep me warm. And in chapter 1, verse 17 of Philippians, he says as he's in prison, there were people who tried to make my chains even more painful. They claimed to be believers, but, but they didn't act like believers. You see, how in the world could Paul go forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ with all of that painful stuff in his past? He did what you and I need to do. You see, whether it is your sin or the sins that have been done to you, there's only one source for that, and it is God the Father. And some of you today, what you're doing with your pain and your past, you're going to Facebook. And you're posting and plastering your pain all over Facebook. Let me tell you something. Facebook is not going to heal the hurts of your heart. God the Father is. You need time with the Father where you just get honest with him about what people did or said to you. And you know what God the Father is going to whisper in your ear? He's going to say, I love you. And he's going to say, as I have forgiven you, so now you need to forgive them. But God, it's not fair. I know it wasn't fair that I forgave you. But, but God, they're going to be free. And you're free. But God, I want to hold on to that, that hurt and that past, and I want to nurture it because somehow I think it's going to bring healing in my life. Church, how in the world is holding on to the pain that people have done in our lives going to bring wholeness and healing? It's only going to bring more hurt. And for some of you today, what you're doing is you're not living in the prison of your past and your failure, but you're living in the poison of other people's failure in the past. You see, forgiveness isn't about setting other people free. It's about setting yourself free because here's what forgiveness does. It allows you and I to focus on the future instead of being prisoners to the past. Do you know what God wants to do with your past? He wants to change it in your present. And here's what only God can do. God can take the prisons of your past and the pain of your past to give you a platform to proclaim him. Only God can take your pain and use it to proclaim his name. That's what we're going to hear tonight. And that's what many of you need to hear, that God will take what the enemy intended for evil and he will use it for good in your life if you give it to him. But I'm going to tell you, as long as you hold on to the garbage and you don't give it to God, all you're going to have is garbage in your life. You see, the last thing that I think we need to eliminate is probably one of the hardest of all, and that is our successes of the past, because otherwise we rest in our achievements and our accolades. And what happens is we live for the glory days. We're like that guy that was super successful in high school, but he's never moved on, and he's always trying to recreate the past. Now, something I think is kind of cool is guys that uh, 
go ahead and get them the muscle cars of the 60s and 70s. But have you ever stopped to ask why and who are buying those cars by and large? If you do the math, you'll discover that most of the people that buy those cars were in high school or in college when those cars were cool. And what happens is it takes us back to a time in our life, in our youth, when we had the whole of our life looking ahead of us. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's just something that is an occasional thing in your life. But if you're constantly living in the past, it's a problem. Some of those guys, what they do is they're like, man, I just want to have this car and I'm going to take my wife and we're going to go on this wonderful little date. We're going to get ice cream and it's going to be wonderful. And here's what happens for most of those wives. I don't want to go in your noisy rat trap. Because we've kind of gotten used to the fact that cars have gotten a little more comfortable 40, 50 years later, right? Man, that thing stinks of gasoline every time you stomp on the gas. It's not, we can't even have a conversation. Yeah, baby, listen to the horsepower. Just feel it. And so, ladies, here's what I want you to encourage you. Just go on that date. It's one time a week. You get to drive your comfortable car the rest of the time. But here's the thing, if you and I are not careful, we will fall into living in the past, right? Do you know what the Bible says about that in Ecclesiastes 7.10? Do not long for the good old days, this is not wise. Now why would God tell us that? Because when we long for the good old days, where are we living? In the past. And this is especially true in the church. Do you know how many churches in America are dying today because they're living for the glory days of the past and they're trying to recreate that? And you know what we're saying to our youth? We're saying this to our youth. Man, God was so powerful in the past, but he's never going to be powerful in the present. We got to go back and recreate that miracle. We got to go back and relive that. And here's what we miss. We miss the power of God in the present. Now, we are incredibly blessed. We're a fairly young church in many ways. Because we still have one of our founding members, Miss Virginia Wilson, who faithfully prayed and started, her and her husband Harry, a Bible study in Mitchell. And look at the church now. We've got three services, and look around. We're no longer a little Bible study in someone's living room. But what if Miss Virginia said, you know what? I long for the glory days. Let's just live in the past. Now, church, can I ask you a question? Do we sing that many hymns anymore? We're blessed to have Ken and bring several hymns here in different services, right? But here's the thing. We don't sing very many hymns anymore, right? But are we still praising Jesus together? Absolutely. And look around. There's a whole nother generation. Now, I know when Miss Virginia is sick, because she's not here at the 11 o'clock service. She's here today. She's here, wind, rain, snow, it doesn't matter. She shows up to praise Jesus. And I know this, she probably would prefer the hymns. But she has prayed too long to see young people come to Christ and praise Jesus to drag this church into the past. And for some of you today, you are living in nostalgia. You are not pressing towards the prize because you're living in the glory days of the past. Now, it's not just elimination, it's also concentration. Because notice Paul doesn't just say, the one thing I do is forgetting the things in the past. 
the second part of that statement is I press on towards the prize. Because if all we ever do is forget things, we have amnesia. And we're called to not just have amnesia, right? We are called to actually pursue the things of God. And Paul describes this as straining towards the finish line. Have you ever watched an athlete straining towards the finish line? Like the last 10 yards of the race, every muscle is just bulging and and their breath, their lungs are just burning because they can't get enough oxygen. And what are they doing? Their hands are grasping for the air, pulling themselves forward to the finish line. But what's interesting is in the Greek, it is singular. And what Paul is saying to you and I is this, that's my calling. And I am going to run in such a way that I'm concentrated on my calling. Church, do you realize that every single one of us has been called to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, but that calling can look differently. You don't all have to go on three missionary journeys, right? God's not going to call. We already have the full word of God. Paul was called to a specific part of the ministry. Michael's been called, and he's here going, where am I? Scott's bluff, where? But why is he here? Because God has laid a calling on his life to proclaim the name of Jesus. But it's in a unique way where he goes to lots of different locations. God's called me here to proclaim the name of Jesus. Can I ask you, what is your calling? And for some of you, God has been calling patiently for 10 years. And you've been keep putting it off, keep putting it off. God, I'll I'll respond to you when my kids are grown. God, I'll, I'll respond when it's a more convenient time. But every single one of us have a calling to proclaim the name of Jesus. And I want to ask you, are you clawing like the athlete, straining towards your calling? Because what Paul is saying here is we've got to be concentrated on that calling. What happens when a river overflows its banks? You have a mess, right? It's called a swamp. But what happens when that river is directed and concentrated? You have a force of life. You see, the same thing happens with light. When it's dissipated, there's no power. But when you concentrate that light, when you direct that light, you have a laser. And so I want to ask you, are you living in the swamp in the darkness of aimless living, or are you concentrated on your calling? Number four, you and I need to be determined. This is where we fight to the finish. Watch this video with me. At the 1968 Mexico City Marathon, three men earned the right to stand on the victory platform, the winners of the gold, silver, and bronze Olympic medals. But for some, the reward is a personal one, the knowledge that they finished what they set out to do. A little over an hour after the winner of the marathon crossed the finish line, John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania approaches the stadium the last man to complete the journey. A voice calls from within to go on, and so he goes on.
Afterwards, it was written, Today we have seen a young African runner who symbolizes the finest in the human spirit. A performance that gives true dignity to sport. A performance that lifts sport out of the category of grown men playing at games. A performance that gives meaning to the word courage. Perhaps the words of John Stephen Aquari epitomize all that is right in the human spirit. When asked why he did not quit, he said simply, My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. The light in this Tanzanian runner is a beacon to us all. Early in that race, he fell, dislocated a knee, damaged his shoulder. And I don't know if you've ever tried to run on a dislocated knee. But just thinking about that hurts me. It would have been so easy to quit, but why didn't he? Did you notice he wasn't running for himself? He was running for who? His country. He was focused on who he was representing. Church, you and I don't represent our country. We represent someone so much greater. We represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ. And how we run the race absolutely matters because the world is watching. And there are these times in life where we get knocked down. Things happen to us that cause us to want to give up. Any of you feel like in your Christian life you want to quit? I've been there. If you do, you're in good company. Read your Bible. Elijah, I stood on Mount Carmel and I wondered to myself, how do you call fire down from heaven and defeat all the prophets of Baal? And then one crazy woman writes you a letter and you're like, I quit the ministry. If it can happen to that kind of a man of God, it can happen to every single one of us. Well, we end up under the broom tree. I might as well die. There's no point going on with Jesus. I quit the race. It's too hard, God. Peter, I stood on the shores of Galilee where he jumped out of the boat and swam back to Jesus and Jesus forgave him for denying him for three times. But you remember what Peter said after Christ was crucified and died? I'm going fishing. I'm going back to my old life. I quit the race. You and I, this is the one Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. And it is so easy to want to quit. Here's what's amazing. This man came in last place, 54th out of 75 runners. What does that tell you? 21 people didn't finish. And it would have been so easy to quit. And here's the mentality of the world today. Why did you keep running when you know you couldn't win? Church is not the place we come in. It is the person of Jesus Christ that we're focused on. Finish the race. Remember last week or a couple weeks ago, I shared with you a a Bible study or a biblical study that had been done on male leadership in the Bible, and they discovered only 30% finished well. How are you going to finish the race? Because you remember what he said? My country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to what? You're going to finish the race? You're going to go on with Jesus? You see, the last thing here is you and I need to be disciplined. And Paul tells us that we need to be in agreement with the Word of God and that the Spirit of God will show us things if we don't understand. And then he says this, hold on to the progress you have already made. A couple years ago, I decided I needed to start eating a little better. I needed to change my diet. This wasn't a diet, it was a lifestyle change. 
And I started to make some progress in my life. Now, let me ask you this question. If I just decided for the next two months, man, I'm just going to eat whatever I want. I'm not going to be disciplined. Because here's the thing. Nobody says, man, I just can't wait to eat broccoli, right? you got to discipline yourself for that. There might be one person. <laughs> I think I know who it is now. But here's the thing. If for the next two or three months, I just went ahead and ate Twinkies, donuts, went to McDonald's three times a day, sure, supersize it. You know what happens when you supersize your meal? It supersizes you. And guess what kind of progress I'd make? None. Guess what would happen to my progress? Guess where I'm going? Back into my past. Do you see what Paul's talking about in the passage here? Whatever you do, don't go backwards. How many of us in the Christian life have backslid because we really didn't want to be disciplined in our Christian life? We don't like to talk about discipline. We like to believe that all these things are just magically going to happen. They're not. Isn't it amazing how easy it is to want to give up on some of the spiritual disciplines? And the reason they're called spiritual disciplines is because it takes discipline, right? Spiritual disciplines like worship. You ever been in a place where you'd rather just keep having your pity party than praise Jesus? And you're like, I don't want to praise Jesus because I want a pity party right now. And I know if I bring praise in, the pity party's got to go. And so it's just easier to give up that progress. You ever been at a place in your life where you're like, I don't want to be in the Word of God? Feel like watching Netflix right now. I really don't want to spend time with Jesus. I, I think I just want to go to Facebook. You ever been in a place in your life where you didn't want to pray? So let me ask you this question Are you pursuing the prize? This morning, we have the privilege of being able to take communion together. And as Christina comes and she plays, I want you to understand this. You don't have to be a member. You don't have to be a partner. We just ask that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and that you've come clean and you're right with God and you're right with your brothers and sisters. If there's someone that you're not right with today, don't take communion. Go get right with them. Forgive them. Go talk to them about whatever that broken relationship is. But as you get ready to take communion, I want to ask you a couple questions. When it comes to dissatisfaction of the spiritual status quo, are you honest with where you're at right now? Where are you really at in your relationship with God the Father? Where are you really at in your relationship with people in your life? When it comes to being devoted, how devoted are you to the cause of Christ? Is there anything that is getting in the way of that devotion? When it comes to being directed, are you being controlled by are you allowing the past to control your present? Are you living in the failure and the unforgiveness? Are you at a place in your life where you're learning from the past or are you living in the past? Why would we carry the guilt and the shame that the blood of Jesus Christ has already covered? What we're saying when we walk out and keep living in the past is, Jesus, you're not enough. When it comes to being determined, are you determined or distracted? Is there anything that you need to cut out of your life that's not important? What are you focused on? Paul said this one thing I do, Jesus. Jesus said to Martha, only one thing is needed. One thing, Jesus. When it comes to being disciplined, are you at a place where you're tired, you're worn out, you're wanting to quit? I've been there. Not just quit the ministry quit quit Jesus 
It's too hard. The enemy's coming against me. He's attacking my family. It'd be easier if I just went back to my former life. That's what Peter thought. But I'm going to tell you, it is worth it. Keep pressing towards the prize. And as you come take communion, remember this. Jesus picked up his cross and he didn't quit. He went all the way to Calvary so that you and I can have a home in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for how you redeem us. And I just pray this morning for those that have hurts and things in their past that God, they would bring them to you and you would start that work of healing in their hearts. Help us to be a church that is not weighted down by our sin and our failure and the failures that have been done to us. But help us to be a church that is free to run the race, to take Jesus to this community and beyond. For we pray these things in your name. Amen.